Welcome to the Eventualities Podcast, interesting conversations with the people behind our favourite regional festivals and events. We dive into the memorable experiences they create, the unexpected challenges they've overcome and what they've learned along the way. Welcome to part B of my chat with Vicky from the Denny Ute Master. If you missed part A, head back and take a listen as we cover everything from the history of the event, the involvement of the local community, the financial impact the event has on the region, volunteers and performers. Okay, now on with the show. So we've mentioned, you've talked about the ticketing and I know at the events conference that you presented at in Port Macquarie, I think you spoke about your ticketing and what you're doing with that. It'd be great to just talk a bit more about that because I know as technology advances, we're no longer photocopying on the yellow paper, (laughs) the tickets. So you've definitely come a long way, but can you just talk to us about, I guess, the partnership you've got with your RFID provider? This would have been our fourth, fourth year with RFID, introducing it slowly. When I first started here, bar tickets were the go for drinks at the bar. Merchandise, cash would come in from the merchandise stand, and but you didn't know. A stock take was done beforehand and then a stock take was done after and here's the money. And you hear funny stories about when it first started that, you know, the directors would be taking money home in paper bags and sleeping on it. And, <laughs> And I'm sure years ago that that was the thing Absolutely. in lots of events. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was clear that that we needed to do something. And and the last year that we have bar tickets, and this is we laugh about this now. One of our lady directors has a, has a crook knee, and it just happened that at the time I was at the back of the bank, and this was the year before I was general manager, so I was in, in charge of the finance. One patron, it was either a fluke, he knew our bar manager's name, but came up to the um, bar t- where they were selling the bar tickets and said that his name was the same as our bar manager and he needed a roll of spirit tickets to take to the other bar. And the supervisor at the time had gone to the toilet, so the timing was perfect. Oh. And so we thought that it was a local. So the supervisor come back and this girl that was working there at the time explained what, you know, it was like panic then. And so I wasn't uh, living in Denny at the time. So, and they thought it was a local. So I said, I'll take the girl with me. She can recognize him. I'll strip off, you know, all my ID and we'll go walking through the crowd. Like this was a long shot, a long shot. We'll go through the bars. This poor girl was beside herself that she'd given away. um, A roll. Ticket, like nearly $10,000 worth of ticket. So we walked into the bars and by, no, couldn't spot him. And by this time, she was really quite anxious. And I said, it's okay, it's okay. Well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And we're walking down and here's this guy. She said, there's, there he is. So here I am with my phone discreetly recording him. And I could hear him selling these tickets saying he brought 10 spirits, but he wanted beer. So he's selling them for the price of the beer. So not very clever because had he gone out into one of the camp areas, we would never found him. So here I am, because I've taken my radio and and I've got the attention of our director and and she said, I said, get the police. <laughs> she said, I'll get the I'll get the security. No, get the police. <laughs> so this guy has obviously then realised that something's happening. So he's he's started running to the Ute paddy. So I here I'm chasing so we're not losing him. And here's our director with a with a crook knee sprinting behind me and had he got into that you know yeah you know next minute these five police come nearly knocking one one nearly knocked and we got him you know we got the tickets back we got the cash back wow so it was clear then that we really 
had to, even though we had secu- we had him on security camera, but by having the damage him on security, would have been done. The damage would have been yeah. done. How were we going to find one person in a crowd of eighteen thousand? I think it was that yeah. year. The first year that I was there, we looked at RFID then, and it only just sort of appeared in Australia. It was expensive. We didn't have the money, and there were lots of problems with it. So, you know, it was put on the back burner, so that suddenly appeared again, and that's why we started with RFID. And I'm pretty sure we were one of the first festivals in Australia that had gone out with it, but not only just for putting cash on the wristbands, we also used it for our entry to scan. So we had the data of people coming and going. We knew. So on a Thursday, I mentioned before that we open our gates now a day earlier so people can come and camp ready for 8 o'clock when our gates open, our festival arena opens. They're there set up and that comes as a huge expense to us. Absolutely. So by having RFID uh, wristbands, we knew, you know, we know exactly how many are coming in at what time now, who's in the event. It's helped with the police trying to find someone under age. Um, it, we can't, we obviously can't find exactly where they are, but you know, we've had a couple incidents with young, young girls and fear that they were in the ute paddock and we've been able to find the, they're coming and going and finding no, they're in the family area. They're not in that area. And you know, wow. Um, so it has that technology that you can't pinpoint them, but you know that they, they've, they've been in the festival arena because they've been and brought, they've purchased, they've purchased yeah. Lunch or they've purchased merchandise at what time. or something. Yeah, they've scanned, you know, in and out. They've scanned back into into the camp area and what camp area they're in. Or they haven't even come into the event at all. They haven't even come into the front gates. Yeah, okay, that's great. Um, so, so that's that was the the data. The, the, the data was the thing, and I'm a real data yes. person. Yeah, and then to have it synchronized with our ticketing company as well so you know the ins- we get the insights from our ticketing company so we know you know we can go zoom in and exactly know what town people are buying their tickets from and, and you're not relying on a sample size it's legit in real time real time yeah, real yeah, time, real so time. That, as real- long as our our wi-fi's <laughs> That's another issue you could talk about, but which is why we go RFID because it's radio frequency. Yes. So it collects the data and then when the Wi Fi is fine, it uploads. So if we needed to know something straight away, we flick a switch and the Wi Fi comes on and and, uh, it's amazing technology. Wow. And and, uh, we talk about cashless and it's cashless for the patrons. And I know we'll breach on COVID soon, but COVID has changed the way things will happen. And had our event gone ahead this year, we would have got rid of that cash. Yeah. And from now on, we will. You will. So, well, you were at least so setting yourself up to do we that. Set, anyway. We were, were setting close up to being that. There. We were close to that. And, you know, from now on, patrons will be able to put cash on their wristband online before they get there. And then we don't rely on Wi-Fi. So when it cuts off and then um, when they're at the festival, they can go into to one of the areas and put cash on. But And they can they can get their refund yes. after the festival online. They don't have to do it the next morning on the Sunday morning before they leave. But, yeah, security-wise and risk management when it comes to cash, there'll be no cash on site. That's amazing. And I guess have your vendors been 
How's how's their reaction been to it? Because I guess it's quite a different. Normally, that's quite a cash yeah, side, of, cash things, side so. of things. So at first, they uh, were a bit Hesitant. funny about it. Yeah, yeah but but now um, it, it's the norm, and it will be the norm. It will be, especially and now now. after COVID. Yeah, yeah now um, more so, there'll be no cash. But do they get? And sorry, I don't know the ins and outs, but they would surely be able to see to track their own yes, sales, yes, so they can yeah. see. You know, on Saturday at twelve o'clock, they're selling the most number of. Yeah, and, product or and whatever it depends. It is. You've got to be comfortable with the company that you're using as well. Yes. Um, as to and and look, and we've tried a few as to the data that you receive. They're yes. they're a little different. So any festival that was going to look at RFID, you really have to be comfortable with the company that you're using and looking at the reporting and the data that they can that they can give you. That's great advice because then that not only does it help you guys as the event owner, but it's going to help all your stakeholders and, you know, vendors and things like that. um, With our stakeholders, in our bars, for example, we're we're now able to give them data that we've never been able to give them before, right down to brands of stock that's been used in those bars. That's remarkable. And that's what you want and that helps continue those partnerships. You know, when the busy times are. and, And that goes into with our entertainment, we talked about, our artists, but that's only that's only a tiny part of our entertainment that we have at our muster. So yeah. we can look at if we had paid a, a quite a substantial amount of money to have a, a some type of entertainment around the ground. We can see if that's worked, if that's drawn yes. those people out of the campgrounds into the festival arena. Great. So yeah, oh, that's amazing, isn't it? And I think, as you said, it's the way forward, especially now as yeah. we're moving into a world post-COVID or with COVID still. Yeah, and, and look, and when we first went out with it, some of our patrons said, "We don't want it. We don't want you tracking what we're doing." Well, you know, it's a number when we're looking at the data we're not looking at a name no. at all we're looking at a, a number on a wristband yeah and how and, and numbers yeah absolutely but yeah for you as the organizers that's just gold yes wow yeah um it's one of, it's one of the best innovative things that that we've gone with yeah absolutely and i think and we will growing. see more yeah. festivals yeah, have changing. to do it i you know i want more from it every, and i speak to the provider well can you do this and can you do this can you get me this looking at what's happening overseas with it yeah that's great yeah you were one of the early adopters too yeah. so yeah that's great well let's quickly talk about risk no when I say quickly talk about risk management we could do a whole episode on it and I know you spoke at the events conference last year on it and it was really well received so I guess talk to us about it's obviously such an important part of the festival but I guess how again you've developed with that and I think you're what you're doing is really leading the way with festivals and events in this country because obviously it is so important but if you can you know tell us a little bit about yeah risk so I um I spoke early this year to a uh, a regional area they they um a council got all their events whether they be small events or, or bigger events about risk and um I got asked the question about you know what if we can't afford it well if you can't afford you can't afford not if you to. can't if you can't afford to put together or to have someone help you don't go there don't um, run the event yeah exactly <laughs> um risk is the number one 
thing before anything that has to be A1. Yeah. Um, there's so many risks and um, whether it be just a music festival, you know, we we look at if you look at our event, the risks, well, we have risks of vehicles coming in, we have risks of people camping, we have campfires, we have a huge around-the-ground entertainment program, we have circle work, there's, there's a whole um, sports arena with motor vehicles happening, we have a bull ride, a wood chop, whip crack. There's multiple risks but still come under that one banner yes. of, um, uh, you know, you have to look at everything's a risk and, and who you're protecting. So we have multiple risk management plans. We work with a company. Yeah, that's um, what's said, interesting. And you guys, how long have you been engaging them for? A couple uh, of this, years? This company's uh, three years, but they're not the only company. We've, we've always had engaged someone because, you know, we, we can't – the event is so big and you can't be trained in every part no. of it. No, and you've got enough going on. But as you said, and your event in particular, I think, has as many risks as you could, as you just outlined, like, and and then add alcohol in. Add alcohol, (laughs) and then uh, around three perimeters of our our site is a channel. Oh, my gosh. Um, So, you know, just touching on that quickly, the police would be concerned about the patrons in the ute paddock and alcohol and some years it's quite hot and they, you know, they'd swim in the, in the channel. And, and so that, that was a huge risk. And then over the years, we've created more of a family event and which we succeeded with over 70% of our patrons and our families. And so we have all these camp areas and the camps back onto the channel. channel. So to me, it was more of a risk that what about if, you know, mum and dad have had a great time going back to camp, had a few beers and and a young person wanders off and, and, and you would never find them. So a few years ago when we were talking about risk and that was my number that, you know, that was my priority for that year was that we needed to fence, not just a normal fence, exclusion fence around that whole perimeter, which we've done. And, and it wasn't about the cost, it was about safety. Brought to our attention, and, and you can't talk about it and not do something about it because if something happens and oh. comes back on us, we, we knew that that was a risk. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it is. And I guess there's risk and it's just factoring that into all facets of yep. your planning yep. and making sure you're addressing it. So I know you work really closely with the companies that you do engage and obviously yep. you've got um, close communication with the police and the <laughs> emergencies. We, 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 have, um, we have a great relationship with our police and all the emergency services. And we work closely with them all year, not just leading up to the muster. We meet with the police once a month, um, even when there isn't an event. Yeah, um, just checking in. Just checking in. Um, the, we have uh, about 20 risk management plans uh, over the event and they're ongoing documents. They don't just get put a, filed uh, away. <laughs> they don't get filed away. They're worked on and they're changed. And that's where by working with the risk management company, they're, they're up to date with what's happening in Australia and in the world. So, you know, that, and they go to them, they, like those documents go backwards and forwards and they say, oh, you need to change this or they send stuff. And so they're, they're updated all the time. And we're also adding to them. I think last year I added something like three, three new plans. And now there will be, even though, uh, one of those plans that in, in those plans that we had, had, uh, infectious disease. Well, now there'll be one huge, there'll be a whole, whole, new, whole new plan, which, which had, you know, when we thought, we were still going ahead in the unknown. That's probably one of my biggest plans and what I've worked on all year. And it's probably half of it's not 
related to, or won't be related right. to when we get. And by the time um, we get to it'll be changed. Year, next year, it'll, it'll be, be goodness. It'll be but changed. at least you've started. I think you've started, got the basis um, and had to start because time was running out and there wasn't a great deal out there. And you know, luckily New Zealand had stuff and other states and uh, the company that we work with. One one of the um, people within that company works overseas, so they were sending stuff as well. So that's great. But, but you know, for for small events, if you don't have the money to engage someone work with your local council there's so much stuff and templates on online, online. <laughs> so yes. many resources so many online. resources that's um, it there's no excuse in this there day is and age. no excuse no. and if you're not ticking that box because you know it doesn't matter how great your risk management is and and the procedures you have in place and all the stakeholders that you use and you know we rely on multiple stakeholders within that area it's good luck. Some of it is good luck, Absolutely. you know, and for 20-odd years we've, we've been very lucky. You know, there have been incidences, but we have been very lucky. And you've and been able to manage them. We've been able yeah, to manage them, Because of your planning. Them, yeah. and, and something that we introduced a few years ago is our round, around the table exercise where we get all our emergency management teams. Some of, some of those um, people that come are our volunteers, our supervisor from our volunteer community groups as well because they need to know what's going on. So we have a day and we have these exercises, scenarios what may happen. Um, you know, it could be a bomb, it could be a vehicle coming through, it could be a fire. So we need to involve everyone that's involved in the whole whole event. And we had success of everyone from those stakeholders turning up. And some of those companies aren't local wow, uh, last year um, to go through scenarios. We sit in tables, we sit round table, which is why round table exercise, yes. we we um, a scenario. Some some years I don't even know what the scenarios are, and then uh, we'll just throw that. So it might be a fire. So we throw it to the fireys. What what would you do? And then we talk about it and yeah, work through those scenarios. That's probably one of the the better that's things that we've exercise. done with you know, our risk management. Yeah, and that's something that anyone could do. Like yes, you know, obviously yes. you're at a certain level, but that's a very easy oh, ex- yes. exercise to implement. Yeah. You just um, think the worst case scenario. Think the worst case, and instead yeah. of putting your head in the sand, say, well, how would we deal with this yeah. and then when if or if it did ever happen yeah. you're like well we <laughs> you know we we included things like what if the power went down yes yes yeah yeah it's all when of those things acts on. when the <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Things oh, like that. So yeah, it's not they're very just, practical. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know, it is good. Look, and I think, look, again, we could just sit here talking about that all day, but I think it's a good lead into this year yeah. and the 2020 events. So obviously um, it has not been the year for festivals and events anywhere in the world. No, no. So can you talk us through, I guess, leading up to your decision in July? Okay, so we were still, uh, and we had to still prepare as if we were going ahead and um, it really, not much does my head in, but that that's probably been the toughest time we got to a certain stage that we probably didn't want to put any more money into marketing, not knowing what, what, where we we're at. We'd spoken as we do monthly with the police and, and uh, New South Wales police weren't, had been advised that they weren't to work on any events until the end of June. So we thought, oh, well, what's, what's a date that we can set that we make a decision? So we set the end of July because we had to be fair on, on artists, contractors, vendors, vendors. Mm. Yep. Um, you know, they, they were buying stock. 
We had to be realistic about enough time and things, we were getting closer to June and things were starting to look good. Things were looking promising. I'd jump back, I like a, not a roller coaster now, <laughs> explain it, on the fence, <laughs> off the fence. So I, I was pretty much hopping back off the fence and starting to think this is starting to look good, starting to look, to speak to Murrumbidgee Health and the, um, you know, they have that disaster management teams talking with the police. It was the second week in June and it was our board meeting where, where we also had meet with our police and, and they were starting to, you know, we'll get your invoice ready. We're starting to book numbers in and we're, oh, it's, you know, it's all starting to look promising now. I really have to get that, that risk management plan out and start to knuckle down of what if this happens? What if that happens? Still very cautious. And then. The second wave started in Victoria and one of the big bosses from the police came down and we knew what he was meeting and I just said to the board after speaking to Murrumbidgee Health, we can't do this. We um, 60% of our patrons come from Victoria. We can't do this. The the closer it gets, the more it's going to cost us. And, and it really wasn't about cost as well. It was about the community. If we were to run an event and have an outbreak in our town where we haven't had a case. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yeah. I didn't want to be responsible no, for that. No, no. And put people's health at risk, not, not just our patrons, the community, but our, I also had to look after our staff. So we went to that meeting and, and we knew what was coming. But before they started, I said, oh, look, I'm just letting you know that we've made the decision we're not going ahead, but can you give me two weeks? It's going to take two weeks. I can't just go out, can't have our stakeholders and our, there's some people in the community that, that um, give so much to the event, they, they, have, they deserve a phone call. It'll take me two weeks to do this, to get press releases done. Anyway, we did it in a week. That was on the Monday and then on, we made the announcement on the Friday. That's the toughest week that I've ever put in in this organisation. Mm. That was eight or nine months' work just undone in a week. Um, I can talk about it now without oh. breaking down. Oh, um, Vicky, but, yeah. But not just for me, you know, it's easy. I was the, the person talking to those stakeholders, but then I had all these staff in the background and, and volunteers that do so much that they needed to be looked after yes. as well, you know, that it's their baby yeah, as well. Yeah, they've invested so yeah, much. The, yeah. and, and, you know, they're local girls, as we said yeah. before, so their love of the event. But it was a relief. It was a relief because as well. Because the decision had been made. The decision had been made. It was working. You were pretty much working on two events, one one that was going to go ahead and one that wasn't. Yeah. So it was a relief. But now we start again. You know, we don't know. We talk about 2021, but we don't know. We don't know what's ahead. You know, we, we now have to think also plan what, what if this does you know, fingers crossed and touch wood, it doesn't. And with conversations that the medical and the that's out there in the media at the moment with vaccines and stuff, let, let's just hope that they can get that right. But we know that events won't be the same. Same, yeah. And you, for part of that, that's that's not a bad thing. Some things will be an improvement, but let's hope that we can have our events again. But we, as an organisation, we now have to start thinking outside the box about if of the off chance that we don't go ahead. 
what else we can do. Yes. Um, our community, our region needs something. So we have a few things on the back burner as well. And we're very fortunate that we have that mu- the museum and the office building near completion that uh, we're now concentrating. We can keep our staff because we need to now get that up and going. So we're, we're, we're in a fortunate situation and also that we had a, a great financial year last year that will see us through. And, yeah, and there's some, you know, when I did that ring around, a week of calling, oh, um, calling <gasps> artists, calling sponsors, partners, people, contractors, some of the stories I felt we're not so bad off. Um, You know, there's always someone worse. We've come through some tough times and and, um, we're very lucky that we've had some good years that... that, um, We'll see you through. We'll see us through this year. And as you said, I guess some positive is that you can now focus some time on the museum, Um, you know, and it's going to be amazing. And I think that will help sustain you through this period and great for the region as well to have that, you know, destination to come and see and for you guys to be out on site. Yeah, (laughs) And, and a brand new you office. know, travel's going to change. We know it's going to change. I, you know, I'd be the first to get on a plane and go somewhere. And now, uh, you know, we've just done a little road trip. Um, but, you know, that's changed my view to see parts of Australia that you have to think twice about getting on a plane now. Absolutely. I think it's car. We're going to see, you know, road trips and road yeah. travel really yeah. skyrocket, which and, is going to be great for regional areas. Yeah. And we already see we can be out on our site and our, our famous muster gates. There's not a day goes by that, that people don't stop at those gates. So now they can stop and they can come into the museum and have a cuppa and oh. have a look. That's great. Well, look, it's good to see some positivity come out of, you know, a pretty bad scenario. We'll quickly touch on the marketing side of things because obviously that's also, you know, you've got a fairly niche, well, what started as a niche event, but now is, as you said, 70% of people coming are families. That's amazing. The Ute Muster is the Ute Muster and and the heart and soul of where it all started is the Ute Paddock and that will always be part of the event. But as things evolve and as I mentioned earlier, you know, that you could go to an event every weekend yes. if, if you – not now, but um, – <laughs> but, Pre-COVID, there, there's so many events on that we could have stayed as we were and wouldn't have evolved or, or grown. So we've seen that the people 22 years ago, or was 21 last year, you know, they were the originals coming that first year and now bringing their families. So oh my gosh. there was the market. So we needed to tap into that. And so we did that by changing our around-the-ground entertainment, making it really family-friendly um, and creating those camp areas, which yes. is the biggest part now of our site, um, is is the family and reserved camp areas for families. Um, so that's how we built that up, even though we're still a Ute muster and, and parts of the muster will always stay and, and that's because that's how we started. Yeah, no, I think that's great to see how you have evolved. So we've mar- started marketing, yeah, more as a family. They're, they're still, you know, even close to, close to here, there's still people that, don't perceive us as they, they think that our event is, you know, for young ones and hoons and, and yep. it's not the case at all. No, and I think once you've been there, you yeah. can see that. But it also does come through in your marketing and, you know, how you you do get that message across. But I guess some of the amazing things that you've been able to achieve, 
that front page of the New York Times, the international edition, like that was, I remember when you sent me that article, it was like so proud and what an amazing, and I think the way that story showcased the story behind the Ute Master and what it means for so many people. And yes, some of those those stories that really came through, I think they were so heartwarming. It was heartwarming at a time when on the land people were doing it tough and uh, they interviewed patrons that have been year after year and they can forget about, you know, they've driven days to get there and they can forget about what's happening on their farm and on their land and come and have have a great time. And I think that not just our festival, that's any festival that you go to, whether it be a country music festival, you muster, or a, a family festival, you just get involved in what's happening around that festival. You get involved in it and you don't think about what's That's it. What's it happening. makes you forget all your troubles, doesn't and, it, really? And that's pretty much what you know, the great thing about festivals. And for the New York Times to to talk about that in their story, it really cements what our event is. That there's people that have made friends all those years ago and catch up every year at, at the, the muster. And, uh, you know, that we've got um, people that, patrons that bring us that one story a few years ago, a sad story, a, a father lost his son to suicide. And so he used our muster and used us and some of the staff here. And he often still rings and couldn't thank us enough that he could bring all his mates' friends to the oh, muster and beautiful. and memorise, you know, keep that memory going of, of his son. We had a volunteer that's come years and years and helps out and his son sadly passed away and it wasn't to, to one of our community people that's involved in our muster went to his funeral and said, you've got no idea the impact that the muster had on him. You know, everyone were in their blue singlets oh. and the youths had their stickers on and, oh. um, you know, that, that sort of thing is... It's a legacy, really, isn't it? And that's that's what the the New York Times brought out, that part of our event, what people get out of our event. It's not just a festival that anyone comes to. Everyone is welcome to come, but it's that part of it that has carried on. Oh, that's amazing. And so I guess to get a story like that, so you do have a marketing person on your team, but, uh, you know, are they pitching to get those articles? Are they pitching to the, you know, um, major TV stations? to get their weather crews down here. How, how is that all happening? We engage a publicist mm-hmm. and she's amazing and, and so she gets a lot. And um, we also, one of our partners is Destination New South Wales, so, so they, they're, they're helping, very, they're helping <laughs> as well. But also the event itself has got a name now. That helps also. But it also, depending on which um, media you get, obviously if you have a big international headline act, you get more than than you would normally. But in saying that, the years that we've been all Australian, we've got some amazing coverage. You look back over the years and it'll all be in our museum, but some of the articles that have been written right from that first year through to now. That's amazing. And it is a credit to, I guess, everyone, to the community yeah. and what yeah. the event has yeah. become. I think it's definitely, you know, it, it's definitely up there with Australia's <laughs> um, yeah. one of the the must see. If it's you haven't done it yet, put it on your bucket list. But I think it's become very well known and renowned, and I think it is one that people instantly, mm-hmm. you know, have memories of. And and marketing's changed over the years as well. How it's done and how you do things, and you know, we're a bit bigger. And, and I know if you were starting out, you couldn't afford to pay someone to to do it for you but social media has changed marketing in such a big way we did um and i just grabbed this one out 
we we um we do lots of competitions and we we found that at Easter time that Easter eggs that they love to just guess how many and so we oh. then engaged we brought in a sponsor and um we did one where they had to count how many eggs in in uh, one of the sponsor's products and um we had 18,000 comments. This is oh, for my goodness. And reached 369,000 <sighs> reaches. Um, so that's, and that's not, we didn't even have to put any money towards that. Far out. So that's, that's the strength of social media by going and buying some Easter eggs and putting them in a sponsor's product <laughs> and saying, guess how many you, you win the product and you win a ticket to the muster. Oh my goodness. Now watch how many Easter egg competitions there'll be next yeah. year. <laughs> You're going to have to think of – put them in the back of the ute, Vicky. Yeah, Fill yeah, the you ute. have to do something Fill else the tray. Yeah. But, but that's – you know, you don't have to have a lot of money. A big budget yeah, to be yeah. effective now, and, and to that, reach who you want to reach. That's because of social media has now changed the way that, that you do things. Absolutely. And we, and we look at, you know, we have companies – and it all goes back to our marketing, goes back to our ticketing data, our insights from our ticketing data, and then we look at where you know where people are buying stuff. So, and how you know that that target age group and and um, who listens or who watches, you know, just the normal stuff. Absolutely, and, yeah. Oh, that's great. Look, I would love to be able to talk to you for for hours on this. So we'll wrap up that aspect of it thank you so much we're going to do a quick fire behind the scenes <laughs> question just to end on a light note yep what's the last event you went to okay it actually is this year and, and you'll be shocked it was in january of this year and it was unify do you know unify unify is a heavy metal punk culture in south Gippsland. i did not pick you <laughs> That no, Vicky. <laughs> no, no. I took two two of the staff here, and we went to Unify. Wow! Doesn't it feel like a lifetime ago? January. Yes, it does. <laughs> Not the festival I would normally go to. No, no. I knew that would shock you. Was that just to pick up some ideas, just to we're, look we're, at what others are doing? We were meeting one of our contractors there to, to show us something. And the funny thing is, we were driving out of there, and you know what? You, you think, oh, shock! But the patrons were very respectful and all nice people. <laughs> When That's we were there anyway. Um, and as we were leaving, a, one of our local suppliers was pulling in and we were in the Ute Muster Ute, so we stood out and he was as shocked to see us there as we were <laughs> to see him. Who would have thought go all that way to South Gippsland? So, yeah, that that's the last event I went to. Fantastic. What's your favourite event you've been to? Oh, okay. I've got favourite parts yes, of some. sure. So I should say the muster, shouldn't I? But well, I, that's I'm a not given. There. Yeah, that's, that's a given. given. <laughs> but I do have a favourite part of the muster. My very first year, very green, um, you know, I'd come from the education department and here I'm working in a festival. And that was back before we had the gates open a day earlier. So Friday morning at 6am the gates would be open. All the media were there. There were scissor lifts and there were utes for miles you could see and it gave me goosebumps. Oh, so that's, that's I get goosebumps part. when you talk about that, yeah. My other part was seeing of a, a festival was seeing Dixie Chicks at CMC. Oh, wow. I stood there and thought, this is what we could have had. But my favourite festival, and it was just after our event, so it's held the end of October and it's at Werribee Mansion and it's called the Lost Lands Festival. I've heard of it. It's, it goes for three days. So I went there with my family and my grandkids and it, you can camp there, but they live 10 minutes away. So we didn't <laughs> 
Kevin's not my thing. Uh, so it's music, theatre, art and circus. And it, it was just, you could, it's that whole thing about What's great about festivals, you sit there, you know, one person could listen to the bands, one could go and do, listen to comedians and watch the circus and you just forgot about everything. So, yeah, that's my favourite and we're going back to that. Great. Not, not this year but next year, hopefully. Okay, I'm going to put it on the list. Yep. That's great. Which event is on your bucket list? Big Red Bash. <gasps> Me too. And you were meant to go. We were meant to go. We were meant to go, but hopefully we'll be there next year. And the reason is, you know, it, it's like us. It's all Australian. It's remote. It just started from a, a an idea and, and has grown. I just can relate to so many things about it and, and the bands they have in my ear. So. <laughs> All right, I'll see you there next yeah, year, 2021. Yeah. Okay, Glastonbury or the Super Bowl? Oh, that's an easy one, Glastonbury. Glastonbury. <laughs> like it? Yep, yep. Your favourite thing about the festivals and events industry? About the fe- Oh, look, and I've mentioned it multiple times, festivals, you know, you get to see people having so much fun, forget about, and I relate to ours, they come, they forget about all their worries and they're all there for the same reason, whether it be what music's playing or what's happening at that at that festival and events, you know, it, just to see what events do to communities. I agree. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And, and it gets in your blood. You know, this, I haven't always been in this industry and I would never, never do anything else. It just, oh, I love and, that. and it drags in your family and your friends and, you know, it just, it does. It gets in your it blood. Does, it, it does. It does. And you it's can't a great leave. industry. So I guess just quickly on that, I've got one more question for you and it's about the Ute Master moving forward. So how, do you where do you see it going yeah in the future obviously we're going to be in a the COVID world still but we don't even have to brush on that but just where you see it obviously you'll have the museum open we'll have the museum Um, and where would you like to see the festival going look I, I hope that festivals can can keep running obviously there'll be changes there'll be changes with the you know cleanliness and and hygiene and health which isn't a bad thing no no not not at all (laughs) there'll be a cost factor in that and you know we all know running festivals when you put your ticket prices up well when I came 20 years ago we paid this and look there's a reason that I'm not allowed to answer on social media (laughs) um, yeah you know There'll be a price increase, but that's that's okay. But I, I just hope that we can get back to some normality and, and go with the changes, whatever they may be. Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. going to be interesting, but fingers be crossed because that's where I think we're all missing that connection and being yeah. able to do yeah. what you do at festivals. Spe- especially for uh, festivals like ours where they camp. One day festivals are a little different. Yeah. But you know what? We're quite happy to look outside that box and we've been going too long and there's too many stakeholders and too many parts of our festival that, that uh, and people rely on us that we have to keep going. Yeah, you will. In some way. Yep. Well, as I've said numerous times throughout this podcast, if you haven't been to the Ute Master, you need to get there at some stage. Um, fingers crossed it's 2021 or if not, we look forward to seeing, you know, what shape or iteration it takes. So thank you so much for your time, Vicky. So much wisdom and experience. So we're so grateful for that. And yeah, we'll be sure to put links to the Ute Master in the show notes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Eventualities podcast. Subscribe for future episodes and the best way you can support us is by leaving a review which helps others find the podcast. 